So the music of praise, let's talk a little bit about these two words. Each week we're defining two of these words for you. The first one is zamar. Somebody say zamar. Zamar means to make music. It means to celebrate in song and music, but it also means to touch strings are part of a, mu- a musical instrument. So this idea of a zamar praise, uh, Chris referred to it last week, that stringed instruments or other musical instruments, you can have music without instrument, but then there is music with instrument, and that's what a zamar pra- praise means. It means that there is an accompanying, it's accompanied by instrumental music. Psalm 144.9 reads this way, I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will sing your praises. In our Bible, it says praises, but in the Hebrew, it says zamar. I will sing your zamar with a ten-stringed harp, Psalm 144.9. We see again in Psalm 7.17, it says, I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise, which is zamar in the Hebrew. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The next one is Tehillah. Somebody say Tehillah. Tehillah means laudation, a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. So sometimes you might find that there's a song that begins to well up in your heart that, that just your own mind begins to make because it communicates the, the feelings that you're having in your heart. You, you don't have to be a songwriter to step into moments of spontaneous praise. You don't have to be a creative to step into moments of spontaneous praise. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Again, that's Yadah. Go into his courts with praise. That's Tehillah. And then give thanks to him and praise Barak, his name. Psalm 100 verse 4. We also see in Psalm 145, 21 says, I will praise, I will Tehillah the Lord. And may everyone on earth bless his holy name, which is Barak, forever and ever. The book of Psalms is actually referred to in the Hebrew Bible as the Tehillim. It is the collection of the songs of praise for the people of God. There is a praise that you and I are invited to enter into with our lives as the children of God. And and then God gives us this instruction that is very specific and, and very detailed because it is permission giving for us to engage in those moments of praise. Somebody say, ready or not. John 2, 1 through 5. Love this story. It says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. It says, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now, as we have talked about before, wedding celebrations will often last for seven days in Jewish tradition in ancient times. It was multiple days that the wedding celebration would take place. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus, they have no more wine. Listen to what Jesus says, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, listen to what he says, my time has not yet come. So Jesus' mother says, okay, I tried. Now, come on, you know that's not how the story goes. Jesus' Jesus's mother ignores him and says, and, and says, do whatever he tells you to do. 
Now, if you know the story, you know they bring in all the jars of the water and Jesus sends them out. And, and as they go out and they begin to serve the water, it turns to wine. It is the first miracle that Jesus performs. Now, I love this story for many reasons, but one is because it teaches us something about mothers. When, thank you, Vanessa. Right. When, when mothers are determined... Divinity and sovereignty still cannot stand in their way. Right? You have Jesus, and she knows who Jesus is. She knows that he is the Messiah. She, she knows that he is the Son of the living God. And he says to her, No, and she says, You're going to do it anyways. Now, I'm going to leave it to theologians that are much smarter than me to explain how that works. But I believe prophetically, this is what I believe, that Jesus was trying to paint a picture for us for what the human experience sometimes feels like. I think what Jesus was trying to do was to show us that there will be times in our lives where we will have a certain timetable thought out in our heads. We'll have a certain expectation about what we're comfortable with or what we're ready for. And the Holy Spirit, like the voice of Mary, comes into us and to us and says to us, I know you have a timetable, but today is the day to enter in. Now, now I'm sharing that with you because I feel like for some of us, and I remember when I first, back in the 90s, when I first started going to a church with my parents that was much like this, that was the expressiveness of worship made me uncomfortable. I had all kinds of ideas about how I was just going to ease in or maybe never enter in. And then like we saw in the video this past week in small group where the pastor talked about how they were in a worship service and the next thing they knew their hands were over their head and they didn't even realize that they were doing it because there was an expression of praise that just began to well up inside of their hearts. If you're here in this series or new to City Life Church, if you're watching from online and this kind of psalmic worship is brand new for you, my encouragement to you is it's okay to have a plan and an expectation for whether or not you're going to ease in or take small steps. There's nothing wrong with that. My, but my encouragement to you is if the voice of the Holy Spirit steps into your day like Mary stepped up at the wedding of Cana and said, hey, it's time to do it today to enter in. My encouragement to you is to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit because he always has your best interest at heart always has your best interest at heart, ready or not. I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990. I started going to that church with my, my parents. I've shared that story many times. Worship may be uncomfortable, and so I, I would time it so I would slip in at the, during the, at the end of the last song, and just my parents always saved a seat for me, and then it kind of gave the appearance that I had been there all along, like some of you do here. <coughs> and, and, and then... But then I got to a place where I was there early because I couldn't wait for worship to start. And that became a pattern for me of this experience of not thinking I was ready, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, like the mother of Jesus saying, no, we're going to do it now, and me learning how to follow his lead. I remember they made an announcement that they were going to 
send a missions team to a war refugee camp in Belize that was doing a vacation Bible school for children and families that were coming across the border fleeing war, and they were in this war refugee camp in, in Belize, and, and, and we were going to do a vacation Bible school there, and I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to be on that team, and I was like Jesus at the wedding of Cana. It's not my time. I had just made a vow of devotion to Christ that December, and then I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit in March at that church. And, and, and then it was just a few weeks later they began talking about this team that was going out. But I knew that the Holy Spirit always had my best interest at heart. So I began to talk to my parents and some of the other people in the church. I had never done anything like that before. And going to just the first informational meeting, that was kind of me sticking my toe in the water. But I left that meeting, and I knew that that summer I was going to find myself in Central America. Began to raise money, and people began to give. And I'll never forget as we were, we were landing in the, I don't know, we were landing somewhere in Belize at the airport there. There was a middle school age boy with us that had never been on a plane before. And as we were landing, he looked out the window and he began to scream as loud as he could, the wings are coming apart! The wings are coming apart! Because he didn't know that the flaps go up to help slow the plane down, right? And we're all like, Matt, it's going to be okay, right? The, The wings are not coming apart. The wings are not coming apart. And, and so we were there for 10 days in the jungles of Belize. And I, I'll never forget one night after dinner, we were in the cinder block shell of a building. And Pastor Pete, the missions pastor, was strumming on his guitar. I didn't even realize then that it was a, a Zamar praise. And somebody began to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And we began to sing that song together, and I just began to weep. Again, I had only been a devoted follower of Christ now for maybe six or seven months. But in that moment, I knew that I was never going back to the life that I used to live. Something broke inside of me in that moment. And I had to travel to another country to experience it. And it was a Zamar praise that brought about that moment. I'm sharing that with you because there's so many things in this life that we don't think that we're ready for, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. Trust Him and follow His prompting. And could I just encourage you that week in and week out, posture and position yourself in places like this, whether it's this church or a church somewhere, because there are people just like me back in the 90s are going to walk into an environment like this, and they need a Zamar praise setting to set them free, whatever they need to be set free from, to be encouraged and however they need to be encouraged, to hear God's voice maybe for the first time, to experience the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You create a setting, an environment. The people that were there, they didn't know what was going on inside of me. They just joined in with that song. Pastor Pete didn't know what that moment was going to bring, but as he strummed that guitar and we began to sing. Every week we come into moments like this. The worship is not about a concert. Come on. It's about creating a spiritually charged environment for people's lives to be changed forever. Ready or not. Somebody say, my praise has power. We're not doing sing-alongs here at City Life Church. Come on. My praise has power. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 says this way. A final word, Paul writes. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on 
all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You've got to make some decisions at some point about what you believe about the Bible. The three words that I like to use to describe the Bible is I believe that it is inspired, meaning I believe that God worked through people to give us exactly what we were supposed to be given. It's divinely inspired. I believe that it's infallible, meaning that it will never fail me, which means also that everything in it is true and real and accurate. And then the third is that it's authoritative, meaning that at some point, if I believe that it is inspired and that it is infallible, that at some point it should be instructive that it should instruct the way that I live. It, it should change the way that I think. If, if I find myself here, but the Bible's over here, my responsibility is to bring myself into alignment of Scripture, not alter the Scripture to bring it into alignment with me. And when I read in things like Ephesians, I can't explain what all this means. We, we, the, the, the Bible gives us some things, but doesn't necessarily give us all the answers. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, it's like looking through a clouded glass. We see some semblance of truth, but it's not all there for us. So we don't know what all of these unseen powers are. We don't know all of the evil that is at work. But the Bible is clear that the devil is real. And that there are demons that are at work with him, and they are at work in the world, working against God and his people. And it means that there is a a battle of sorts that we are engaged in against the forces of darkness. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 16 with his great declarative statement of building the church. He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does that mean? I don't know everything that it means, but I know it means this, that there are enemies of God that are opposing his work. Our praise has power. This idea of the music of praise is important for us to understand that there is an element of warfare in our singing when we gather. Let me say that again. There is an element of warfare in our singing when we gather. 1 Samuel 16 14 to 23, such a good story. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, right? He was the king of Israel then. The Spirit of the Lord, it said, had left Saul, and the Lord had sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. So some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp, Azamar prays, Whenever this tormenting spirit troubles you, he will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, he says. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 23. And whenever the tormenting spirit of God troubled Saul, David would play the harp and Saul would feel better. Listen to what it says. And the tormenting spirit would go away. Evil and worship cannot coexist together. They cannot coexist. 
part of our responsibility as the body of Christ and the family of God is that every seven days we gather together and we create an atmosphere and an environment where evil and oppression cannot enter. We, we, we create part of one of my prayers every week is, God, let it be that in these 90 minutes when we are together, and then sometimes I'm praying for all the other churches in our region and every other church that's meeting, even those that don't have a Saturday revelation and get up early on Sunday, God bless them. Let it be that during their services that there is spiritual clarity, that whatever evil is oppressing people, that they are left on the street and they cannot pass onto that property so people can hear from you, receive from you, and be healed by you. Will, will you create a Zamar praise for people in your city? Will you create a place, a stronghold, a safe place for people to come and receive from God. Joshua 5, 13, 6 through 5. I'm not going to read that story for the sake of time, but as we move back in time further in the biblical narrative, we find that as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they came to the stronghold in the city of Jericho. And the night before the battle preparations were going to begin, Joshua had an angelic visitation. And the angel gives Joshua the battle plan. I, every time I read that story, I have this picture. Joshua was a man of war himself. There were men of war in that camp, mighty men, violent men, around a table waiting for their commander to come and give the plan that they knew God was going to give them. And when he said that the the tip of the spear of the attack were going to be the musicians and instruments. I'm telling you, all of those warriors are thinking to themselves, this is crazy, right? Who puts at the front of the force the military band, right? We got some military band members, right, out there, Jordan? Uh, yeah, see, yeah. Jordan has never been invited, right, into a military strategy and said the, the band is going in first, but you read this story, and that's exactly what happened. The, the musicians were at the forefront of the battle plan. It was through their instruments. It was through the sound of those trumpets. It was from their, their shout of praise that the walls came tumbling down. And then the men of war were able to enter in and take that city. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think that story is given to us to tell us the history of the Bible. But I think like the story of Cana, it is also given to us as a prophetic picture of what can happen when the people of God gather together with a shout of praise, with instrument in hand, that there is victory that is forthcoming. I don't know if any of you like me growing up, had field day. Anybody have field day in the school where you grew up? Me and Robert Welch were undefeated in the three-legged race. One of my great claims to fame, the athlete that I am. I have no trophies or ribbons to speak to it, except the stories that I will tell to my grandchildren, and they will pass on to theirs. Wow. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. 
But one of the other things that we did at Field Day was tug of war. Maybe what we should do when we do the spring tailgate, we should do Field Day. We should do we should do the old people against the young people. What do you think about that? I will put my three-legged race title on the line. Yeah. Robert Welch lives down in the Outer Banks. Maybe he'll drive up. Maybe he'll drive up for the day. One, 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 one of the events of field day was always a tug of war. It was always the last event of the day. Was it the last event? Right? It was the culmination. At the end of field day, the teams would get on either side, and, and, and there was like a, like a rope, a ribbon that was tied on the rope, and then a, a line that was put on either side, right? And that, that ribbon could move back and forth within those two boundaries. But if it crossed one boundary or the other, then that was an indication that the other team had won. And, right, and there would be one team that would pull, and then it would get pulled back, and it was quite a fight. I'm sharing that with you, and I've got that rope out there because I think one of the geniuses of worship is that when we bring our voice and join it with the voice of other people together, it is like we are taking our place on the rope of the tug of war for the spiritual well-being of our region. I think one of the geniuses of music in worship is that it brings our praise together as one. I think one of the geniuses of, of worship, you, we, I hope you worship, I worship God during the week on my own. Worship isn't just collective, but when it is collective, we, we are grabbing a hold of the rope for our region together with one another. And then if you can think beyond that a little bit, that every city, every seven days, the weekend comes, it's our church is taking our place on the rope with all the other churches in this region. And starting on, probably on Saturday afternoon, all the way through Sunday night, think of all of the churches in the 757 that are lifting songs of praise. We're pulling on that rope, people. Are you going to take your place? Are you going to help create a Zamar praise, not just for the people of the house? Or are you going to create a Tehillah environment, not just for the friends that you know, but will you step into the battle that is raging in our city for our king? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Acts 16, 25 to 30. If you were in our small group this past Wednesday, Chris is sharing a little bit, and then all of a sudden he just gets into the story. And I was, he had not seen my notes. I was like, Chris, come on, you're all up in my notes. He's always all up in my notes. He's a, he is one prophetic man of God. Come on. Acts 16, 25 to 30 says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. Now, you can believe what you want, but I'm believing there is a causal relationship between the Tehillah, between the praise, between the singing and the worship, and the earth begin, beginning to quake. It says the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of the prisoners fell off. 
The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword because the penalty for that in his day would have been death. So he's like, I'm going to fall on my sword. But Paul shouted to him, stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Come on, stand with me. We, we might live the rest of our lives and never see a physical, natural earthquake as a result of our praise. But can we just believe together that in the unseen realm and spiritual places that we can cause things to quake through our praise? The kind of quaking that causes other people that are sharing that time and space with us, something longing in their heart to want to know how to be saved? to want to know this God that they're hearing other people sing about, how he can become their father too? Do you not want your praise to draw other people to the Savior who has saved you? Father, I pray that as we step into these moments of praise right here for these next 30 minutes, that it would be a ready or not time for some. People maybe that are at home and watching because that's kind of their way of not quite entering and I pray they would enter in wherever they are. Holy Spirit, we, we pray that your prompting would be heard and would be followed whether we think that it's our time for psalmic worship or not. Let, let it be, God, that in this moment and every weekend hereafter, that people are going to see worship a little bit different. If they've saw it as a concert, they're going to let that go. If they thought of it as a sing-along, they're just going to turn that loose. That they're going to feel empowered and inspired that their praise has power to create a Zomar atmosphere, a tequila setting for people to be free, to be healed, to be filled with your spirit, to be called, to be sent out, to be rooted in. For people that are oppressed, for people that are struggling, that this atmosphere of praise is going to be one where they find a hope that they can then take and meet the troubles that are waiting for them on the road home. Let it be, oh God, that even if we don't feel this earth at 311 Selden Road shake beneath our feet as we sing tonight, let it be that something in the unseen realm would be rocked And that people, like the jailer, would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, come on. Let's worship together.